Hi, Livermore campus. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Welcome to Good Friday at Cornerstone. And if any of you are like me, it seems a little weird to even say that, to call this Good Friday. I mean, this is the day where we remember that Jesus willingly suffered, that, that he was brutally beaten, that he was forced to, to carry his own cross and then was later killed on that very cross in what is perhaps one of the most painful and inhumane forms of capital punishment that's ever existed, crucifixion. I mean, to me, it seems like bad Friday, dark Friday, sorrowful Friday would be a better phrase, but good? However, I think when we allow ourselves to pause, when we are, allow ourselves to reflect on the magnitude of the events that happened this day, calling it Good Friday is actually entirely appropriate. Because Jesus' suffering and death, as, as terrible and unjust as it was, it was the dramatic culmination of God's plan to save humanity from their sins. And for every single one of us, that is very good news. And for Mark, the writer of this book that we've been studying for the past three months, the events of Good Friday that he records in, in chapters 14, 15, and 16 of his book, uh, they are the dramatic culmination of everything that he's written up to this point. You see, if I had to uh, summarize the book of Mark in just one sentence, I would say this. Mark is all about answering the question, who is Jesus? There we go. <laughs> who is Jesus? In fact, Mark is so precise, so intentional uh, in making sure that every sentence, every verse, every story, every encounter that he records in his book, it all points back to answering this question, who is Jesus? Mark, he actually builds this case so well, so brilliantly, that the gospel of Mark is considered a literary gem outside of the Christian world as well. You see, in the very first sentence of his book, Mark reveals to his readers what his whole book's gonna be about. He says it in the first sentence. He tells you what everything is gonna point back to. In Mark 1.1, 1, 1, it says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Who is Jesus? Mark would say he's the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And although the, us as readers were clued into this from the very first sentence, we begin to read through the rest of Mark's book and you realize none of the characters in his book know this yet. Like everyone is wondering who is Jesus and they don't have the answer. In fact, all throughout the book of Mark, we've seen, we've studied these encounters that people have with Jesus where he'll heal someone or he'll perform this incredible miracle and, and the people uh, are, are amazed. But Jesus, he responds by saying, shh, don't tell anyone. Yeah, I know I just healed you of blindness. Go home and don't tell anyone. What do you mean don't tell anyone? How can I not tell anyone? Like, it's almost like Jesus, he's like keeping this big secret. Like he doesn't want anyone to know who he is. I don't know about you, but I love secrets. Let me, let me rephrase that. I love knowing secrets. <laughs> I do not love it if secrets are kept from me, okay? And I bet you can all relate.
relate, right? There's something, there's something just that feels good or is appealing about being in the know, right? About having insider information. I was totally the quiet kid, the introvert. I still am, but growing up, I was the kid who would like stealthily walk into a room without talking. And I'd be listening to the conversations that's going on, like hoping I hear something I shouldn't hear. The best was when my parents would have really important conversations in our family room because I could sit on our basement stairwell and hear everything they said, like I was sitting right next to them. They had no idea. At least I think they had no idea. They're probably like, yeah, we totally knew. Maybe that's why it was a waste of time and I never actually found out anything significant. But Mark, he writes his book in a way that kind of plays into our fascination for secrets. The book of Mark, it's actually nicknamed the Messianic Secret. Because all throughout, Mark, he, he's, he's trying to help people understand this question, who is Jesus? And it starts from the very beginning. In chapter one, Jesus, he drives out demons from a man. And, and it says that Jesus tells the demons he wouldn't let them speak because they knew who he was. And the people, they're amazed, they're marveling, and they say, who is this guy? In chapter two, uh, Jesus, he's healing people. He's forgiving sins and the crowds, they can't believe what's going on. They've never seen anything like this. And they say, who is this guy? In chapter four, Jesus, he's in, caught in the middle of a storm on a boat with his disciples and he quiets the wind and the waves simply by the sound of his voice. And his disciples are amazed and they're like, oh my, who is this guy? In chapter six, King Herod, he's wondering this very same question. He's like, maybe Jesus is, is John the Baptist back from the dead. I hope that's not the case. I beheaded the guy. Like, who is this guy? Then you get to chapter eight and Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they respond and they say, well, some say you're, you're this prophet or, or, or you're this guy or that guy. And Jesus, he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds by saying, Jesus, you are the Messiah. Yes, like it only took half the book, eight chapters in, but someone finally gets it, right? They know who Jesus is, except not really. Peter's only half right here. Yes, he says, Jesus, you are the Messiah, but the Messiah that Jesus actually is, is very different from the Messiah that Peter thinks he is. You see, Peter and everyone else, they are, their understanding of Messiah was someone who would come and would overthrow Rome, someone who would establish their kingdom, their rule, their reign, and, and release Israel from oppression and once again put Israel back in their rightful place. But then you read in chapters 8 and chapter 9 and chapter 10, and Jesus, he paints this picture for his disciples of the kind of Messiah that he is. And it's vastly different from what they thought the Messiah would be. Jesus says, no, the, the Messiah didn't come to rule and reign. The Messiah came to serve and suffer. Jesus, the, the Messiah didn't come to overthrow Rome. The Messiah came to overcome sin and death. A, a victory that could only be accomplished through his own death, not through his living and his reigning, but through his suffering and his death and then his resurrection three days later. Jesus, he presents this completely different definition of Messiah. And Peter, he doesn't understand. He even rebukes Jesus for saying that thing. Like, dude, guy's got some boldness, okay? 
And just when you think someone has finally figured out who Jesus is, you realize they don't actually get it at all. And then we get to Mark 14 and 15. And this is where we're gonna study today. And it's in these verses that the mystery about who Jesus is will finally be revealed. Everyone's wondering and questioning and will finally be answered. You see, after Jesus was betrayed by Judas in the garden of Gethsemane, he was taken and set on trial before the chief priest and the other Jewish religious leaders so that they could find some evidence against him in order to kill him. And, and so they start accusing Jesus of all sorts of things, except they can't actually find any practical evidence to use against him. And so they start lying. They start bringing forward false witnesses, and except all these witnesses they bring, they can't even get their story straight. Nothing matches up, nothing makes sense. And it's in this context we're gonna start reading verse, chapter 14, we'll start in verse 60. Mark writes, the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? In other words, the son of God. But they wouldn't have said son of God in fear of taking the Lord's name in vain. And so he says, the son of the blessed one. And Jesus says, I am. Right here, the chief priest, he says it, right? He asks Jesus, hey, who are you? Are you the Messiah? Are you the son of God? And Jesus, he actually answers them. He never answers people, but he does it in this instance. He says, I am. I'm the Messiah. I'm the son of God. And here's how they respond. The high priest, verse 63, tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him and they blindfolded him, struck him with their fist and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. Chapter after chapter after chapter, people are trying to figure out who Jesus is. They're trying to answer this question. And, and just when you think all is about to be revealed, Jesus finally tells them, he says, yes, I am the Messiah. They don't believe him. They had the answer literally staring them in the face and they're too blinded to see it. And so they condemn him to death and the chief priest the next morning, uh, they tie him up and they take him before Pilate, who was the Roman governor at the time. And even Pilate, even he wondered this question, who is Jesus? And he asked Jesus, look at chapter 15, verse two. He says, are you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. And then all the religious leaders, they continue to accuse Jesus. Uh, and Pilate, he is shocked at Jesus' response. 
I mean, he can't, he can't believe that this guy is remaining silent. Pilate hasn't found any fault with Jesus. He's like, he's a totally innocent man. Why aren't you defending yourself? Don't you hear what they're saying? Don't you hear what they're accusing you of? Like, why are you so quiet? Think about it. The tensions are higher than they've ever been. The religious leaders want Jesus dead. His very life is at stake. Surely, like this should be the moment. Now should be the time when Jesus fully reveals who he is, when that question, who is Jesus, is finally answered for everyone. Yes, I'm the Messiah you've been waiting for. I'm the son of God. But he stays quiet. It was Passover at the time, and it was a common custom of the festival for the governor to release a prisoner to the people during Passover. And so Pilate, he, he puts this decision in the hands of the people. He says, hey, do you want me to release Barabbas, a, a terrible criminal, or do you want me to release Jesus, this, this innocent man who I found no fault in? And the crowd chooses to release the criminal. And so Pilate asked them, well, what do you want me to do with this guy? What do you want me to do with the one that you call the king of the Jews? And the crowd who just days before on Sunday was crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The very same crowd who received Jesus into Jerusalem with praise and adoration just a few days before is now shouting out, crucify, crucify him. And Pilate, he gives in. He orders Jesus to be flogged, to be brutally beaten, and then he hands him over to be crucified. The Roman, the Roman soldiers take him away and they put a purple robe on him as a mockery of his kingship. They, they twist on his head, not a crown of jewels and of precious metal, but one of thorns. And they mock him and say, hail, king of the Jews. Jesus is beaten over the head with a staff and they kneel before him sarcastically. Gods wouldn't let someone beat him. Like, who does this guy think he is? He is no God. They bring Jesus to the place of his execution. They nail his hands and his feet to a cross. They hang him there on that cross. They gamble for his clothing and, and the written charge against him, what he is guilty for reads, King of the Jews. And then look at verse 29. As Jesus hung there, utterly defenseless with life draining from his body, it says this, those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saves others, they said, but he can't even save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. 
And those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema shabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near him heard this, they said, listen, he is calling Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. And with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. With a loud cry, Jesus breathes his last. And the curtain of the temple, the veil that represented the barrier between sinful humanity and an almighty and holy God, it was torn in two. See, in that moment when Jesus breathes his last breath, when, when that veil is torn, it, it, the visible barrier, the physical barrier is destroyed, but there is also uh, an invisible barrier, a spiritual barrier that is destroyed as well. It, it's in that moment that the result is that we, you and I, can once again be in right standing with God, our creator. See, it's in this moment of the cross where we can realize the cross is actually the intersection between God and humanity. It's the intersection where God meets us, where he meets humanity. No other religion is like that. It's in the context of the cross, the moment right after Jesus eyes that, or dies that all of this tension that has been building throughout the entire book of Mark regarding who Jesus is, it's in this moment that all of that tension is finally once and for all resolved. You see, Jesus, he breathes his last, the veil in the temple is torn, and then the very next sentence Mark pens. The very next sentence we read is verse 39, and it says this. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Surely this man was the son of God. This is a Roman centurion. This is, this is someone who would have been in charge of over at least 100 Roman soldiers. Why would a Roman centurion be at a crucifixion? Because he is the one who's overseeing the execution squad. Think about that. Like this guy has witnessed countless crucifixions in his lifetime. But this one, 
This one is not like any other one he's ever experienced. This one is different. This guy died in a way that he had never experienced someone die before. This death revealed something special. This crucifixion revealed the Messiah, the Son of God. You see, the cross reveals everything. The idea of a crucified Messiah, it it would have been an oxymoron in ancient culture for both the Jews and the Romans. Like suffering was not a sign of God's presence. It 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 would have been absurd for a Roman centurion to utter these words. In this moment, the cross shows us who Jesus is. Not just in the way that he lived, but in the way that he died. This is Mark's way of saying that you can never fully understand God. You you can never fully understand what it means that Jesus is the Messiah, he's the son of God until the cross. Mark's saying, put aside whatever preconceived notions or ideas you have about God. Uh, Put aside all of the things that you thought Jesus or the Messiah would be like. Uh, Put put aside all of the things that you were previously associated with God and with his character. Like if you really want to know who Jesus is, if you really want to know what it means to be the Messiah, if you really want to know what God is like, then you have to look at the cross. You have to start with the cross because the cross reveals the character of God. The cross reveals not a God who is distant or harsh, judgmental or mad or angry or disappointed in us. No, the cross reveals a God who is giving himself away in self-sacrificial love for the world. The term Messiah and Son of God, they're completely meaningless apart from the cross. That's why all the way through the book of Mark, Jesus is like, Shh, don't tell, don't tell, don't say anything. Because all the way through, Jesus is redefining Messiahship. He's redefining what the Son of God is like. He's redefining what God himself is like. He's saying God is the one who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Every Good Friday, we have the opportunity to gather and to spend some time reflecting on the sacrifice that was paid on our behalf. It's a time when we acknowledge and we remember that we have been ransomed from our own sin and death. And this year, as we reflect on this passage that we've studied, as we reflect on the relevatory nature of the cross, let's spend some time reflecting and, and meditating and praying over the same question that Mark's original audience would have been trying to wrap their brains around. The question of who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? But don't think about it in a general sense. Think about it in a personal sense. What does a suffering Messiah 
mean to me? What, what does a crucified son of God mean for me? How do I connect with my, my sin and my brokenness and what does that mean for my faith in Jesus today? For some of us, we've been following Jesus for a long time and this is the perfect time for us to reflect and to remember the sacrificial love of Jesus. It's the perfect opportunity to pause and to slow down and to realize that the cross is a vital part of our story. So let's, let's sit with that today, tomorrow, as, as we're preparing for resurrection. Let's not rush to celebrate before we fully sit with and understand what it is we're celebrating. For others of us, maybe you're here today and you haven't begun that journey yet, or, or maybe you're new in that journey, I would encourage you, stick with us this weekend. Yes, the cross is a necessary part of Jesus' story, but it's not the end of his story. I'm gonna close today by reading a part of Isaiah 53. And this is a passage that came to life for me in an entirely new way this past October when I was in Israel. And these, and these words were read out loud as I was sitting on the floor of the Antonia Fortress in Jerusalem. It would have been the very place that Jesus was brought to to be beaten by the Roman soldiers. The very place where his blood was shed before he was let off to the cross. And as I'm sitting on that floor, as, as I'm, I'm touching my hands to those cold stones, reflecting on the words of Isaiah 53, the, the remorse and, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the sorrow that I felt for sins I've committed that, the, that led to the blood that had been shed there over 2,000 years prior, I, that, the, I felt the weight of that more prevalent than I had ever felt in my entire life. And I just remember sitting there like weeping. At the same time, in that moment, I felt like the, the gratitude I have, the, the, the freedom, the love, the peace, the forgiveness that I've found in Jesus Christ because of his sacrifice, I felt that more prevalent than I had ever felt in my entire life. See, I fully believe that reflecting on the cross, on the suffering that Jesus went through, on the, on the sacrifice and the price that he paid on our behalf, and what that means for each of us personally, that doing that is the very thing that helps us truly understand who Jesus is. We have to start with the cross. Like Jesus, he is my savior. He has saved me. He has rescued me. He has redeemed me. He suffered for me. He died so that I could live. That's who he is. I want you to close your eyes while I read these verses from Isaiah 53 so that you can better soak them in and reflect on them. And after I, after I finish reading, we're gonna just spend some time singing together again as a response 
to our great Savior. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. But by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 